welcome to the Anxiety Proof Her podcast, where amazing women come for education, inspiration, and hope around healing from anxiety. Each month, you're going to hear from other women who took control of their mental health by using outside-the-box holistic strategies to cope with their anxiety and to ultimately thrive. You will also learn from experts in the health and wellness industry about the tools they use every day to help their patients reclaim their well-being. We hope this information allows you to see that there are many different paths to healing. I'm your host, Jennifer Bronstick, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker and anxiety treatment professional. I help women and teen girls who struggle with anxiety, self-doubt, and perfectionism to tap into their innate resilience, get to the root of their fears, and implement custom healing strategies so that they can experience peace of mind, more self-confidence, and be liberated from the suffering that living with anxiety causes. I have lived with anxiety my whole life and know how hard it can be. I also know that there is hope and it's 100% treatable with the right information and support. Thank you so much for showing up for yourself and taking the first step to reclaiming your well-being and resilience. the Anxiety Proof Her podcast. I am really excited to have my friend Caitlin Chiari come on and talk about anxiety and foods because I think there's so many different layers when it comes to food and eating and anxiety and stress at the table. Um, and uh, I saw that she's been you know, doing some deeper learning around this. I was like, okay, you have to come on the podcast. So Caitlin is a registered dietitian. She's the founder of Mom and Top Nutrition and really believes that a lifetime of healthy habits starts with the proper foundation. Um, her passion is in childhood health promotion and believes that it has an essential role in the body and offers one-to-one counseling as well as group programs. I think that's awesome because parents can learn from each other too, I imagine, um, in your group programs with the goal to take the stress off of mealtimes. Um, that is it. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Well, thank um, you. Thank yeah. you for having me on. I'm excited. I'm excited awesome. to be part of your podcast. I think it's amazing that you're doing this. Thank you. Um, and, and I'm also excited to talk on this topic. You know, I am beyond passionate about this concept and I mean about feeding children in general, mm-hmm. but specifically, um, you know, really thinking, I think a lot of times we don't even pay attention to what else might be surrounding ourselves or our children when we're feeding them. We think it's so black and white, it's just about the food on the table. And the truth is it's so much bigger than that. And so I'm really passionate about trying to help families understand what else might be playing a role in some of the mealtime battles, struggles, and challenges they're facing. Yeah, so this is a topic that's near and dear to my own heart, (laughs) having um, kids that – they're so different. Like their eating habits are so different. You know, the the things that one will eat and the other ones won't eat that, you know, that's where just personally I find my anxiety rising. Uh, Is this something that you see often? 
Uh, absolutely, absolutely. It's so common that within one household, and this isn't just necessarily between siblings, but even between parents, that you know someone is maybe having a problem digesting dairy, and so they're they've taken that out of their their diet, and then but you know they have a kid who's like a dairy loving child who wants everything mac and cheese and grilled cheese and everything that can be cheese sticks and yogurt and all that stuff, and so yeah. it starts to become really stressful when we have to take into consideration not only the preferences by like you know what you prefer to eat or what you like to eat, but also the tolerances and the allergies. And so it's very common that within a family, we see that the stress kind of rises as we're trying to meet everybody's kind of palate, right? Or we're trying Mm -hmm. to meet everybody's, you know, preferences for different types of foods and keeping them all safe. Mm -hmm. And as a, as a parent, and I don't want to say as a mom, because while I think in our society, yes, it's the majority of moms who are responsible for meal planning and meal preparation and take on the burden of the stress when their kids don't eat. I don't want to just say moms because of course there are plenty of fathers who are also doing that role. Mm -hmm. So I'll say parent because in general, when a parent is very caught up and this is of course true of all levels of anxiety, but when we're so focused on the outcome, right, that Mm -hmm. is really where the stress goes up. So if we're thinking when we're feeding our kids, I really want them to eat this or they really need to eat this or, you know, they need to eat more calories because they're small or they haven't had any protein today or, oh, my gosh, they don't eat any vegetables. I need them to eat vegetables. So those are all outcomes. Right. And so we focus on those outcomes. And so then when they're at the mealtime, all they can be thinking. And even if this is a subconscious thought and not necessarily a conscious thought, they're so kind of like focused on this. Is my kid going to eat those vegetables? Are they going to get enough protein? Are they going to be big enough to grow? Or sometimes it's the other side of the coin. Oh, my God, is she going to have another bowl of pasta? She's going to be too big. You know, diabetes runs in my family, and I don't want her to have these struggles. And I was big as a child, and I don't want her to be teased. So whatever, you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. this dialogue is going on subconscious or consciously, and therefore you are not able to really be present at that meal. And so your energy is very different, and that stress that comes up for you will come out And I think most parents can relate when you snapped at your child over something and, you know, it's something so minor that didn't require that type of response from you. But why did we respond that way? Because inside this inner dialogue is stressing us out about their eating. And if we're tied to that outcome, that inner dialogue is going to constantly be going. And instead, I really try to help my families think about, you know, if they eat their vegetables at this meal, it doesn't make them any healthier. It's one meal right? It does not change their health status if they eat the broccoli today at dinner and vice versa if they do not, right? They are not unhealthy if they have a second bowl of pasta or they don't eat the vegetables. Mm -hmm. So if we take meal by meal and we remember that it's not so, we're not so tied to the outcome, but we just try to focus on having an enjoyable mealtime experience, right? Like really start to think about, I don't care what they eat. That's a really hard thing for any parent to do, to really truthfully not care what your child eats or doesn't eat. But if you can get there, and maybe at the beginning you just pretend to not care, right? Like fake it till you make it, that you don't care what they're eating or what they're not eating. It will change your energy. It will allow them to feel more safe and calm and potentially more exploratory. I see this so often with my picky eaters that there's so much energy and tension at the mealtime because they're picky and the parent has decided they're picky and the parent's already stressed before they even sit down, right? Because are they going to eat this and all of the things that come up. And so the kid feels that and then they're not eating very well. And it's just like a back and forth. They're just sharing this tension back and forth and they spiral. And then it gets worse because then the parent starts pushing, right? You got to eat this. No, you can't have dessert. You have to have a few more bites of this. You've barely eaten any chicken, whatever it is. And the kid pushes away more and more and more. 
And what I piece of information that I find really fascinating about um, anxiety with children and eating is we've all heard a thousand times about fight or flight, right? That's not new information for probably any of your listeners. But did you realize that when we're in this mechanism of feeling like we must fight or flight, that our appetite plummets, right? Our appetite just drops out. Because if you were in the woods being chased by a bear, it wouldn't be a good idea for you to be like, oh, I'm really hungry. I should stop for a snack, right? That would really not be great. You'd get, to, you'd be the snack. You'd become the snack. Yeah. And I'm so saying it's like Yogi Bear popped in. Like, Yogi <laughs> would stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but you would not. So it's like our nature and our instinct that when we're in that heightened situation that we will not actually feel hunger. So think about your kid. They're coming to the mealtime. They're already nervous and anxious because there's already been battles. It's already been stressful. You've already been pushing and fighting with them over what they're eating or not eating. They sit down. They're a little anxious. And now when they're not doing so well, we say, come on, come on, come on. You know, and, you know, parents are very well-meaning when they do it. They're not force feeding their kid. It's very with the best intentions. However, it feels like a tremendous pressure on the child, right? Even the little things like, you know, just try a bite of this. You'll really like it. That even that subtle little thing is pressure to a child who's not feeling safe and comfortable at mealtime. And so their fight or flight goes up, their appetite drops, and now they're really not going to eat anything. So if we can try and keep that in mind, that like the more calm we are at meals, the more enjoyable we make mealtime, the better eater your child will be. And how do we become calm at mealtime? We have to let go of the outcome. We really have to disassociate what they eat, and that doesn't make you a better parent, a good parent. It's also not going to affect their health down the road. And what would affect their health is if we continue this battle. If we continue to battle them meal after meal after meal after meal for years, that will affect their health. But if we can kind of stop and just put the responsibility on them, like this is what I've made for dinner. This is what we're having. You don't have to eat it. You'll notice there's some, I don't know, apple slices here as part of dinner. I know that's something you enjoy. Notice, I didn't say macaroni and cheese, like you're not making them a whole different meal that's appealing to them, but that, you know, you want there to be a familiar food so that they feel when they come to the table, not already anxious, that there's like food they hate, right? Yeah. You want there to be something almost like a gateway that they're like, oh, apples. I like apples. Okay. You know? And they might only eat the apples. That's fine. That's fine. Children are so good at knowing how much they need that if they undereat at that dinner because they didn't want the broccoli and salmon that you made and all they had was apple slices, then the next morning when they wake up, they might have a second bowl of yogurt or, you know, a second waffle or something like that. So they'll make up their calories as they're learning. But we need to allow them to just eat the apples, right? We need to allow them to not feel pressured to eat every single thing that's on their plate or try bites of this, right? Yeah. So I just imagine our listeners right now are feeling relief because they're now hearing and I'm hearing from an expert that knows that to have permission to say, I am not going to make this my full-time job. (laughs) Like I get to, you know, I get to, put something on the table, I get to make a dinner and, you know, have, you know, random things we know that they like in yeah. the fridge or the mm-hmm. cupboard. And it's like, if you, okay, like, this is this, yeah, you know, your this other option. Yeah. Um, you know, Jen, I like to use this analogy and I think it sticks with people because, you know, we all learn kind of with stories, but I say treat your child almost like your dinner party guest. 
because if I was coming over, Jen, and you were hosting a dinner party and I knocked on the door, chances are when I came in, you would, you know, welcome me in and you wouldn't necessarily say, um, so what did you want to have to eat tonight for this dinner party? Like, no, you've probably already been prepping food, right? You kind of already had a plan for this dinner party. You're not going to ask me as the guest what I want to eat. So then we go in and we sit down at the table and we're going to enjoy a meal together. And you notice that I'm not necessarily having any of my broccoli and I'm really enjoying the mashed potatoes that you made. And I want a little bit extra. And I'm hopeful that at this dinner party, you wouldn't say to me, "Mm, no, I think you've had enough mashed potatoes. You should eat your broccoli first, right? I think you would allow me to enjoy the mashed potatoes in the quantity that I wanted to enjoy the mashed potatoes. And then as we're finishing the dinner party and you decide to bring out dessert, I'm hopeful that you wouldn't tell me I couldn't enjoy that chocolate cake because I didn't eat my broccoli tonight, right? You wouldn't do that. So, so in a dinner party situation, you as the host have decided what is being served, where we're eating. Oh, I forgot one of my lines is you wouldn't ask me to eat in the living room. You'd probably have your kitchen or your dining room set up, right? So you as the host are deciding what's being served and you're deciding where we're going to eat and you're deciding when we're going to eat, right? It's all kind of on your, but then after that, I'm the guest and you give me control over whether I eat the foods you put in front of me and how much I eat of the foods you put in front of me. And you don't stress over it, right? I mean, maybe some dinner party guests would be like, oh, why are they not eating that food, right? You might think because it's not tasting good. You might have a little tiny angst of like, why is that person not trying any of that broccoli? But I don't think you would be dying on the sword that I was going to be unhealthy because I didn't eat the broccoli you served tonight. So if we could think a little bit, if we could shift our mindset and almost think of your kid, there are their own human right? They are on their own journey and their own path, and they will choose and follow their body's clues. But we're not going to say to them, oh, you didn't like the broccoli? Well, go ahead. You can go into my kitchen, right? As you would tell your dinner party guests, go ahead, go rummage through the cabinet, find something you do like, right? Because that would be inappropriate. I have to choose from what's being served. I just recently, um, I'm going to share this too, because it blew my mind. About a week ago, someone um, that's very close to me gave me a parent's magazine from 1930, right? They found it in an antique shop. And the reason they gave it to me is because the cover said, you know, how to get your kid to eat. And obviously I teach a workshop called the same thing. So, so my friend was like, I didn't read the article, but I just had to get this for you because how ironic, you know, whatever. And I was like, oh my God, I cannot wait to see what the advice must have been. And first of all, the exact same advice that I give all the time, very, very, very similar, that it is not up to the parent. And when the parent tries to encourage, it actually backfires and that the pressure creates a worse eater, not a better eater. And I thought, wow, this is over, this is 1930, I think it's 37. I think that's the year. Like, and, and here we are, 2020, and we're still pushing kids, right? Like, this is not necessarily new information, yet parents still feel this attachment to push their kid to eat and to eat the right thing. But the other interesting thing that it had shared um, in this article was just about how children should actually learn the concept. This was new for me. This was something I had not thought about or pondered this topic. Children should actually learn this idea and concept of it's not going to be exactly how you like it all the time. That is a concept of life, right? Think about it. When you go to a friend's house or you go to a restaurant or you go somewhere, it's not perfect. There are times where we kind of have to learn to like, deal with it, right? And that's actually a a good life skill to be like, yeah, this wasn't my favorite meal, but like, you know, sometimes at school lunch, you're going to order a lunch. It's not going to be your favorite. You're going to go to your friend's house and your friend's mom is going to cook you dinner and it's not going to be your favorite. And so they should learn at home to how to tolerate and how to be exposed to foods that are not their favorite. Oh, I love that. Sort of. 
like you know, every meal is a, a lesson. <laughs> but right, you're not shoving right. down their throat. Like you're not no, like forcing no. a lesson. It's just you're giving them the opportunity to have that experience. And while you right. were talking, I was just thinking of um, how powerful that is for teenagers that this idea of peer pressure, it's almost like peer oh, yeah. pressure. You know, yep, like yep, that, yep. like, oh, come on, just do this. Like, it's going to feel good. Like, you're going to uh-huh. like it. Like, uh-huh. you want your teenager to be like, no, like, right. I, that doesn't feel right for me. Like, I, like, that, you know, substance, like, bothers me. You know, like, you don't want that. It's like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, yeah, do right. You don't want it. You don't want a complacent <laughs> child, right? And and the truth is, in toddlerhood, it's so easy because most toddlers will be very clear, right? They're not going to be complacent. Most toddlers are like, no, I'm not eating that. I'm not doing that. No, 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 no. It's their favorite word, right? Yeah. In toddler world. But then, truthfully, as they get older, a lot of times we learn that we're supposed to kind of please certain people or not create conflict, right? Not create waves. And so over time, they become more, okay, I'll just do it. And we see that in feeding a lot too, right? So I have a lot of Actually, I just had a client yesterday um, with a 12-year-old who is now a vegetarian, and I see this all the time. Nothing wrong with being a vegetarian. It can be perfectly healthy. But why is she a vegetarian? She's a vegetarian because two of her best friends became a vegetarian. And But this but this particular child doesn't like any vegetables. And so her mom was like, how can you be a vegetarian? And, like, you're not eating any vegetables. You're just going to eat pizza and pasta? That's not very healthy, right? right. Um, and so it's just interesting as far as the the – the peer pressure and the effects mm-hmm. that it has on the way that we eat, even as adults, but also in children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm imagining, cause you mentioned working with a 12 year old that there is still hope. Let's say oh, yeah. your family, you know, th- that it has gotten to this point of, you know, you're stressed about your kids eating. What would be like the simple first step? that someone could do to begin to move closer to where you're speaking of? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And it all starts with you, right? It all starts with whichever parent is the one kind of responsible. And so I would say you need to determine what is your specific coping strategy that can be applied prior to mealtimes, right? So it might not be going for a run, right? That might be a great one, but not applicable to right before dinner time. So we need to find whatever strategy works for you that puts you in a better mental place before you sit down, right? So rather than expecting that they're going to shift overnight or that they're going to make this miraculous change, and they will because your energy will be infectious, right? So the first step you can do is kind of get yourself right. And so I'm sure a lot of people are like, well, how can I do that? I'm scrambling to get dinner on the table and I just came home from work or, you know, whatever. And it's kind of like mayhem. There are so many simple things. So I, um, I have one of my friends that would often – for her, washing her hands under cool water was a reset. It was almost like a meditative thing. So she would do a cold hand wash right before dinner time, and then that would, like, really resettle her. I, in my house personally, I'm a big fan of, like, a quick dance party, or even if we don't have time to, like, party and move our bodies. Part part of the dance party in my household is also because not only the mind sh- shift, but I have a, a very – I have a child who likes to move a lot, and so this helps him right before we have to sit down for dinner to kind of get some wiggles out. 
Um, but personally, what music do I put on? I don't necessarily put on their favorite. I put on my favorite. I put on what's going to put me in a good mood, right? What I will change and shift my mind. And so I'm a big believer in of the power of music and it's quick and easy, right? While I'm plating food, I could put Alexa, like, yo, Alexa, play Pitbull, right? Mm -hmm. For me, that's going to, that's going to shift me, right? (laughs) And that's going to make me kind of just feel a little bit lighter and a little bit happier and a little bit, you know, I come to the table different. And I think that's the quickest, Mm -hmm. easiest thing you can do. And maybe it's even, you know, putting your earbuds in and listening to a podcast or something, you know, there's even meditation ones or calming ones. And so I think there's a lot of things, Mm -hmm. or maybe you go outside on your porch for even a couple of deep breaths of fresh air, right? Not very long, but just something. And when you're doing that, reminding yourself, I don't care what they eat. I don't care what they eat. You know, just mantra it. I don't care what they eat. Mm -hmm. And I'm still a good mother. I'm doing my best. Yeah. Yep. And it's, oh, and it's not under my control. And it's true. This is Mm -hmm. not just, you know, me trying to make you feel good. What they eat is really not under your control. So the more you remind yourself of that, that like no matter, and I, I try to remind some of these parents who are really stressed over feeding their kids. And I'll say to them, well, what are the things you've done so far? And they'll list all of the strategies they've tried. And I'm like, okay, so do you feel like you've done everything? They're like, yeah, I've done everything. Okay, and did any of it work? No. All right, so then maybe you do believe me when I say it's not under your control, right? So stop trying. The trying is the anxious part, is the anxiety Mm -hmm. part, right? That's the stress. Stop trying. It's not under your control. Mm -hmm. You go back in. I want you to sit there and enjoy every bite of your own meal. Maybe mm-hmm. don't even keep, keep your eyes on your own paper, as the teacher said, right? Keep your eyes on your own plate. And so perhaps you're not looking at what your kids are eating. You're not giving it the energy or the attention. Um, there's things you can do at the dinner table that are fun and enjoyable, depending upon the age of your child, that keep you from talking about food, right? So one might be, we like to play in our house, Rosebud Thorn. For those of you who are not familiar, basically Rose, someone shares something good that happened to them. Um, thorn would be something negative that may have happened to them or made them feel upset. And then Bud, something they're, ha- they're hoping for tomorrow, mm. right? So we do that, cool. re- that all the time. Yeah. And it's, it's a good, not only communication, but if you're doing that, you're not paying attention to how many bites of broccoli, right? You're actually listening to your child and you're realizing like, oh, that you had this hard thing that happened to you and I didn't even know about it, right? Because if your kid comes home from school or practice or wherever and you say, how was it? They're going to give you good, right? They're not going to give you very much. Mm-hmm. But when we're playing this kind of interesting game, things will come up that mm-hmm. are really interesting that I had no idea. It's like, oh, you didn't tell me that when I asked you after school, right? Um, and so it's a good way to connect. Yeah. Be present in the moment. Be grateful, right? That one good thing. We can also express some gratitude and no one is paying attention to the bites. Mm. So in our household, and I feel like there's a lot of families that can relate to this, is that dinner time is tricky because of everybody's schedules. Schedule. Mm-hmm. You know, so dad's coming home 7.38. Like, kids can't wait to eat till then. Um, other kids have dance classes, you know, and they come home and they're, you know, well, they used to come home. Now they're home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, COVID. <laughs> Thank <Yeah>. you, COVID. <laughs> um, which is a big thing. Like, then it just feels like the kitchen's always open. Um, and I don't want to be, like, the snacking 
police. Like that's just not, you know, I probably, when you're talking about like not caring, like I probably yeah. lean towards like the really not caring, like, like I don't care. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, yeah well, part fair. of it is like, maybe I should be concerned. Like here's a <laughs> vitamin, like hopefully that balances out. Like let's make a smoothie. Um, but I just want, you know, like it's hard sometimes to find that like dinner time, like when your kids, especially as they get older, you know, my kids are 11, 8, and 5. Um, and so, you know, getting them all, you know, home at the same time. I feel like everyone like eats their dinner at a different time. <laughs> right, um, right, right. So right. like, is it the sitting down that's important? Like, is there a way to have like a different way that also, and what, you know, I think, which I love that you're talking about is this like intuitiveness, like intuitive, you know, eating. So is there a way if we're not all having dinner at the same time to still teach these important lessons around food? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so all the time we think about dinner being that family meal, right? That's almost like what's been ingrained in us. And I think many have probably had that when they were younger, right? Had this like dinner family time. And that the current day, that's way less common because of changing schedules. Kids are definitely in more extracurriculars than we ever were. They're mm -hmm. starting later, right? Like I don't think when we were kids, there was like a dance practice at dinner time. Like that didn't happen. Everyone was like done for dinner. It was like, there was this value almost. Like you wouldn't possibly put kids in something that conflicted with dinner time, right? You know, it's just interesting. And I can even think about my own dad who, um, you know, I'm, I live in New Jersey. I'm from New Jersey. And my father worked in the city and he would commute home and he would leave very early in the morning. I would never see him in the morning so that he could be home for a six o'clock dinner. Right. So, so that was a value back then. And we don't really have that same value and that's okay. There are ways around it. But I do think that if we have completely no structure around dinner, that we, that it's hard for kids, right? Like, so kids really, we know this, right? Kids need schedule. They need boundary. They need structure. They need that. And so if dinner every night is kind of like this free for all mix, I think it's really hard for them to do well with it. So I usually try to say, you know, let's map out the week and find out who has, you know, dance and who's got theater in our house or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. soccer and kind of like map it all out and look at the week. And, and in our heads, it feels like crazy every day. But when it's on paper, you realize mm -hmm. it's actually not. It's like two or three nights that the schedules are kind of not aligning, right? And so we try to say, all right, um, when you're at soccer or, you know, dance or whatever, um, that's during dinner time. So when you get home, you have the choice, you know, you, you give your child, you have the choice. You can eat before you go or eat when you come home, but they're still being served the meal that you ate with the other child or with the spouse or whatever at mm -hmm. the other time. Right. So there's still like this, this core unit of the meal. The second seating. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And they know that it's not them always doing that. And, and it also is important that they not be served by themselves. Right. So I really am a stickler that while it doesn't need to be the entire family around the table, I don't like the idea of a child eating alone. Right. Mm -hmm. So is there someone you can pair them with in the house that can follow that same dance schedule? Could you eat a little later? Could your husband who's coming home eat a little later? You know, or, you know, who's coming home later already? Mm -hmm. Could they pair up and be on the same page or, you know, something like that? And if not, then could you just at least sit with them? Could you sit with them and chat with them and have some water or something mm -hmm. like that if you've already eaten your meal? Um, kids do so much better. Even us. Right. Who likes to sit and eat alone? You know, it's just mm -hmm. it's not as enjoyable of an experience and they don't eat quite as well. So. Even if we can't have everybody together, then maybe yeah. they can kind of partner up. The other thing I would say is maybe mornings are a little bit easier, especially if they're home. 
and you know, they're not rushing off to get mm-hmm. to school and there's a little bit more time. Could everybody sit down and have a family meal for breakfast instead of dinner time? You know, I know the mornings are chaotic too. So sometimes people feel like that's unrealistic, but mm-hmm. especially if you can't do it at night, most days, then I do think we should put some value into trying harder to do mm-hmm. it in the morning, right? Even if that means everyone has to get up 15 minutes earlier, even if that means whoever's the meal prep needs to start prepping the food the night before, right? Like doing whatever they can to make it quick and easy in the morning mm-hmm. to have a meal everyone can sit down to. But there is a tremendous value that goes beyond nutrition and well into child psychology about coming together around a meal. So it doesn't have to be dinner, mm-hmm. but we should try to find a yeah. way that we can make that happen at least once a day. Yeah, well, and especially during these times, you know, where kids aren't connecting with other kids, you know, a Mm -hmm. lot of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And And, uh, during these times, too, I think um, a misconception for a lot of parents is that we're with our kids all day or, you know, they're home and we're home. And so we're connected. But are you really connected? Not really. Right. So we're trying to multitask and do our work and they're upstairs on Zoom. And so, yes, they're here all day. But have we really taken a connection point? Have we really like sat down and connected Mm -hmm. about what happened today or what's going on? So I think people are missing that a little bit. Yeah. And mealtimes could be a good solution. Yeah. And just listening, it makes me want to, you know, look at it a little bit more. So it's not like this is not about good, bad, right, wrong. You know, we don't want, you know, adding more to your plate. It's one of the, this is one of those conversations where it's an invitation to reflect, you know, is mealtime working? Is it bringing value, enjoyment, peace, connection to your life? And if not, you know, what is maybe one thing that Caitlin has suggested that you're like, oh, like that feels like a good starting point, you know, where maybe it's just shifting your mindset. That's the first step. Maybe mm-hmm. it's what came into my mind was maybe it's having a family meeting about like, okay, is there, you know, something that we can do to, you know, all come together and, mm-hmm. you know, once so let's start with once a week. Let's not go crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. right, right, exactly. Uh, so, and I hope, yeah. I hope that my, my overarching, you know, message is to realize that if we can't control the outcome, right, if you let go of the outcome and you can't control it, that therefore, it's like when you're stuck in traffic and they always say, like, if you're stuck in traffic and you're constantly thinking about the traffic and it kind of shuts you up, but you realize you can't do anything, right? If there was like a six-car pile, if you cannot do anything in and to let go of the fact that you have any control, right? Yeah. So the same thing with feeding your kid. Do less, not more. Mm-hmm. Parents these days are killing themselves to get their kids to eat. Really, they are. And I always tell them, I hope after, you know, you've come to a workshop or you've hear, heard me speak or a lecture that you realize and walk out with an exhale, right? Like, oh, it's not even my job to get my kid to eat. Oh, I totally was misinformed. I thought, you know, as the mother yeah. that I was supposed to get them to be a healthy eater. And the truth is like, no, your job is to be a dinner party, like host, essentially. Yeah. It's up to them. It's up to them fully. Mm, Hopefully that. that takes some, some pressure off people's shoulders a little bit. Yeah. So I always end the show with a message of hope. So what is something that you would want parents to know that makes them feel just really hopeful about their relationship with food and anxiety or, you know, around that topic? 
Um, great question. Wish you would have prepped me with that one. Um, so on the fly. Say, yeah, on the fly. So I would say, um, because I'm such a big believer in this relationship with food that really does obviously begin for everybody in infancy, that for parents, this hope that like, no matter the age of your child, we are all learning. We are all picking up information and determining, you know, our, our feedback on that. So even if you're listening to this and you have a 16 year old, there is still hope. There's hope for everybody. I work with parents on their own eating and shifting their own ways of thinking about food to develop a healthier relationship. And they might be 40, 50, 60 years old, right? And I've done adults for so long. So if you're worried about your kid, don't ever think like, oh, God, I've messed it up or it's too late, right? We are always in this journey. We are all learning. And it's never too late for your kid to kind of think differently, for you to approach mealtimes differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was perfect. And <laughs> I didn't prep you at all. Yeah, <laughs> true. You definitely didn't. So I'm glad <laughs> I could answer that one. <laughs> uh, so, Caitlin, please share your website where people can find you. Sure, absolutely. So my practice is called Mom and Tot Nutrition. Um, and that's the letter N, not the word and. So mom and tot nutrition. So you can find me at momandtotnutrition.com or on Instagram with uh, at momandtotnutrition is my handle. It's all the same. Very easy to follow. Um, my intention with social media is always to make people feel good, right? So when you're reading something, it's not about shaming. It's not about you should pack a better lunchbox like this. It's about giving you quick, easy tips and strategies, you know, really helping parents do this thing of feeding their kids, which is a big task, right? Mm-hmm. Who knew that feeding kids is going to be such an overwhelming task? And it is. And so I just try little by little to give you some tips and strategies to make it a bit easier. Definitely not to sh- make parents feel like, oh, no, I'm not doing yeah. that. No. Yeah. So we I always take that. the other approach. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We, we get enough of that. Don't we? Exactly. Oh, usually in our own heads. Yes, of course, of course. Our own worst critics. That's for sure. So so thank you so much for coming on. I will put all of that information in the show notes. And thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. Thanks, Jen. I appreciate it. Bye. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in your well-being. I hope you learned at least one new idea or technique that you might want to implement into your own life. Remember, you're not alone. There is hope. And with the right information and support, you can thrive. If you're dealing with panic or looking for a step-by-step process that will allow you to break free from this crippling fear state, I want to invite you to check out my Panic Attack Survival Guide. You can grab your free copy at www.jenniferbronsnick.com. Thanks for listening.